You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. It has been a very weighty day today. Today is uh, week five of our Hope in Empty Places, Hope in Empty Places series. Um, today, the topic is Surrounded Isn't Empty surrounded isn't empty. Have you ever felt outnumbered or surrounded, um, you know, odds against you, uh, no way out kind of scenario? Um, when, you, when you feel that way by either people or if you feel that way based on circumstances, what it ends up doing is we respond to it pretty much all in the same way, which is panic, <laughs> right? We, we have nothing to bring to that table, nothing to answer so that we kind of are just panicked. And panic has a way of just sucking the life and the fight right out of us, right? Just, it just, it's like having an escape valve and you just you know, undo it and all of it kind of flushes out. Um, it makes you want to give up. It makes you want to surrender and come out with your hands, with your hands up. And that would be a good time to remember what the core of the series has been is that empty is an illusion. Empty is an illusion. God has always done his best work when his people were outnumbered, outgunned, and outmaneuvered. Always. This is where he does his best work. And surrender actually is not a bad position to be in if we're surrendering to the right person. If they're surrendered to the right person, then surrender is a good thing. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to dovetail a little bit about this message and then, and then where, where the world is in relation to Israel right now. So you, you got to think back a minute. And God establishes Israel in Genesis 12. He begins the establishment of his people, his delivery system of the Messiah to this world in Abraham 12 when he calls Abraham to leave his country and to go to a place that God would show him. In fact, that move of faith, we read in Romans that Paul says that it was credited to him. So that move of faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. In fact, then, then, then Abraham is in right standing with God as a result of that faith movement. And here begins the establishment of God's people that we would know as Israel. You get into the book of Exodus, and we find, um, we find Israel has been in 400 years of captivity. But in fact, a place that was meant to kind of squash them, if you will, was a place that they flourish. They, they flourished and grew as a nation in those 400 years in Egypt. And God raises up Moses to deliver them out of Egypt, to take them to a place to, of worship, and to take them to this land that was promised as far back as Abraham. Now, we know that Moses had his own shortcomings there in that process. The people sure did. And then Joshua is the one who leads them across the Jordan from east to west into the promised land, into what was recognized finally in 1948 as the state, the Jewish state of Israel. So I know with all the news and the words and the titles, and it's, it's easy for this stuff to kind of get um, kind of mixed up. So I wanted to kind of give you a brief overview. So here is, here is a modern day map of Israel. All right, so that, that kind of pale yellow 
is Israel. Now let's start up top of the north. You have up on the north, we have Lebanon. So when you hear the word Hezbollah, Hezbollah would be the terrorist group out of Lebanon. So these Lebanese Palestinians who want to see the end of Israel. So that's coming from the north at Hezbollah. So then you have Syria directly beneath them, and then what is known then as the Golan Heights. You'll hear that phrase about the Golan Heights, that there is Palestinian um, uh, people who live in those Golan Heights, uh, Israel, Jews, and Palestinians in there. You drop down to Jordan, and with Jordan, and then and you have the West Bank, all right? So you hear that a lot. So in the 70s, 80s, you would have heard about the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which is, doesn't, doesn't have as much prominence Anymore, but in the West Bank, here you also have Israel be condemned for for um, um, occupying the West Bank, right? That they, they shouldn't be building settlements in the West Bank because the West Bank is supposed to be set apart for Palestinians. But where does the West Bank sit? In the middle of Israel, okay? And so, um, and you have uh, um, Egypt to the left, and then the other green place here, Gaza. So when when they talk about uh, the Gaza Strip, this is the Gaza Strip. And this is under complete Palestinian rule. And this is where Hamas, Hamas isn't just the political organization running Gaza. They are, they are a terrorist group that has taken over control. And so there, there are no Jewish settlers in Gaza. That would be all Palestinians. Now, Egypt, Egypt closes and has closed and is closed this border, that small strip of brown land. That is a border with Egypt that's closed. So no, no refugees, right? They're not, I don't know what they're doing today, but this is generally a blocked piece of land that um, Israel has allowed. They have allowed then Palestinian rule there, and yet they still control the coast and other things. So I learned this, this is funny. I learned this from Phil Valentine. Does anybody remember Phil Valentine? Right? Um, so Phil Valentine would say that the media bias is not what they tell you, but what they don't tell you, right? What they don't tell you. So language is important. So when, they, when, when you hear media reports of militants and freedom fighters, this is, this is propaganda, okay? Hezbollah and Hamas, this is not freedom fighters, and it's not militia or militants. They are terrorists, and they've been recognized as terrorist organizations by dozens and dozens of countries, okay? So it's not just a, a, a label put on there. And um, I read this this week, that if, if the Palestinians would lay down arms, there would be peace in the Middle East. If, if Israel lays down arms, there would be no more Israel, right? So they, when, they, when, 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 when you, they want to talk about them overstepping their bounds or, or doing this or doing that or, or causing this blockade or whatever, it's because they sit in the middle of a region that all these nations hate them. And in some charters, and especially Hamas and Hezbollah, it's like well, they want them erased from the map, that there would be no Jewish state. And it's amazing to me that this two-state solution, all this Palestinian talk about a Palestinian state, when all of these nations around them um, are Palestinian, they're Arab. And yet you have this small piece of land that was given to Israel as far back as Abraham. And they're just trying to keep what's been given to them. Now, Israel, the size, I told you this before, right? It is the, uh, about the size of New Jersey. 
about the size of New Jersey. And quite frankly, growing up in New Jersey, I felt like New York, Philadelphia, and Pennsylvania, and, and uh, south of us didn't like us very much either, right? So um, <clears throat> it's a Jersey thing. You'd have to be, be there. Um, Israel has a population of seven, th- 7 million Jews. So the Jewish population of Israel is 7 million. The population of New Jersey is 9 million. Okay? So imagine New Jersey having to have its own Air Force, its own Army, its own Navy. Right? And in fact, it's why you, uh, at 18, you're subscripted into the military, in the uh, uh, Israeli Defense Force, and you, you can be recalled up to the age of 40. Up to age 40, right? Because it's such a small... It's just a small nation, and this is how, this is how they're left to defend themselves in here. So Israel's always been an outnumbered, outgunned, outmaneuvered nation. God's people have always been under threat. This is why as far back as Egypt, um, Pharaoh was, were killing babies, Jewish male children, killing them. It's even why Herod was killing Jewish born baby, still trying to fight this fight that God has already won. Now, I want you to understand that God has never pulled back Israel's designation of being a covenant people. Never. And although you would find that probably, um, well, there would be modern day Israel Judaism does not recognize Jesus as the Messiah but they are still his covenant people. See, that's the beauty of the covenant. Covenant isn't sourced out of what we bring to the table. Covenant is sourced with what God brings to the table and God chooses. And it's out of his love and sovereignty that he chooses. And these are his people. That's why I really, although the carnage is, is devastating, right? I don't worry about Israel from this standpoint because God always takes care of his covenant people. And even when we read in the Old Testament some things that are very difficult to read, someone in the, in the Life 180 reading plan said, man, I forgot how, how hard the Old Testament was. You know, yeah, it, it, it's hard. God chooses a lot of methods to get his will done but he gets his will done, right? And so here's a connection I wanna make to us today, and I I hope it's not too arbitrary for you, but but as believers and as individuals, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, we, we, we can be in situations where we feel outnumbered, outgunned, outmaneuvered. We feel surrounded. All right. So in this case with Israel, God is, God is not, uh, we, well, here, let me just say it this way. Our God has given us identity, purpose, and promise, and they're worth fighting for. Don't give up on them and don't give them away. This is what Israel's fighting for. Their identity, their purpose, and their promises. And just like the enemy has always wanted to take that away from Israel, it's always wanted to take that away as us, children of Abraham. We are grafted into this vine. Right? We are children of Abraham, according to the New Testament. We are a wild olive branch that has been grafted into the domestic olive branch of Israel. Right? And this is why it matters so much to, to Christians of what happens to Israel because we are grafted into the same vine. Um, so when I, um, when I find myself in situations where I feel completely outnumbered, outgunned, outmaneuvered, my go-to for decades and decades has been an Old Testament passage in Second Chronicles. And I've probably preached this passage as much as I've preached anything in my entire ministry. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, I believe it can change your perspective of what it means to be surrounded 
and move you more into a position of strength where you will, you will not allow the circumstances around you to define how you feel and what you will do in the middle of them. And isn't that what we need, right? Um, one of the songs we sang, one of the lines says, when all we see is the battle, you see beauty, right? So this change of perspective today. So it begins this way. So if you have your Bible or your, your, I know we have it up here all the time, but you can't write on the screen, right? So if if you have your Bible, and I think you can highlight and do funny things on your app too, I guess, right? That's too, too much for me, but nonetheless. It says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with some of the Menunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. So he'd be king of Judah at the time. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already at Hazar Tamar, that is the En Gedi. First word of chapter three is where we find ourselves always, when news like this will come to us, alarmed. Alarmed, meaning panic, feelings of fear. Jehoshaphat was in there. So alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved. But I love that resolve can come even in the, in, the, in the face of fear. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek him from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town and uh, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. All right, so the nations had the, the nations coming had distinct advantage, right? So it's what we've heard, at least I've heard in modern day warfare. Anyway, it's shock and all, shock and all, right? So shock and all is size, um, it's speed, um, and and it's just a capability, right? So it's going to put a massive amount of force. Um, at a very stark speed in order to bring shock and awe because the point would be then to, to demonstrate to the, um, to the opponent, if you will, that fighting this is, is a completely losing battle from the get-go. That if you want to maintain or survive, any, maintain any kind of life, what you need to do now is just quit and surrender. All right, shock and awe. And that's what three nations coming against one nation would be. All right, and surprise would be that third element, size, um, speed, and surprise. And by the time Jehoshaphat gets this report, right, they're already within marching distance of Judah. And I think this works to their advantage, right? Uh, how many people you enjoy making things work yourself? If there's options in front of you, you want to exhaust those options, right? A lot of people, this would be our case. We want to work the problem, right? Work the problem, work the problem, work the problem. Well, when the enemy shows up at this vast number of people, you kind of have to skip that point, right? Because there's like, no, no time, no time, no options here. So they, they go right to surrender, but they surrender to the right person, right? So it was, it was skip, it was skip all that and calling a nation, calling a nation to fasting. So... I want to give you three, uh, three empty uh, fight rules, all right? So three ways we fight empty, Th- three empty fight rules. And the first one is that we have to fight empty with fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Jehoshaphat proclaimed a nationwide fast. I see fasting as focused fighting. Um, I, I, you know, I credit my faith in the Lord to my, my mom, so much of my spiritual disciplines um, I saw my mom exhibit, and fasting was one of those. I, I saw my mom routinely fast. Sometimes fasts are long, right? We, we do this in January, right? We, January, 20, January this year will be our 18th church-wide fast, 
All right, and we do that at a wide scope. Sometimes, you know, we'll focus in on certain things you might as a family. But as a church, we kind of throw a big wide blanket over, over fasting uh, into the year. But then there are fasts when things come on you suddenly and they're, they're, you don't know what to do with it. And so these may be fasting a meal. It might be fasting a day. You might fast two or three days if you have the time. But the way we fight empty, when empty comes this fastly, uh, this quickly, Fasting is a good tool to use. It is a focused, it's a focused way um, to get us to see that empty, empty is still really an illusion. And I will say this, that if, um, well, I wrote it this way, uh, empty is an illusion, but it might as well be real if we don't invite God and others to participate in our surrounded. See, prayer is an invitation. Fasting is an invitation. Fasting is a more desperate invitation than prayer, but fasting and prayer are invitations. And God is a gentleman God. And it's amazing me, I don't completely understand it. Like, you know what's going on, can you just step in? But there is this thing about being invited into the process. And you know, I've, I've, been, I've been a pastor for 34, 35 years, and I'll have to answer these questions from people from time to time. Well, I don't believe you have to go to church to be a Christian. And I completely agree with them. I mean, as I understand salvation, salvation is faith in the person of Christ, right? And so, uh, but living my life as a Christian without the body, without the body of Christ around me, well, good luck with that. And I don't, I don't mean to be slight with that. I'm just saying that, that there have been plenty of circumstances in my life that have been, you know, every, every appearance of empty, and I had the body of Christ in, a, in an individual, in a couple, in a small group, or in a whole body step into that with me in a demonstration that this is truly not an empty place. This is what the body of Christ, the body of Christ does. So empty is an illusion. It, uh, it might as well be real, though, if we don't invite people into it. And this is what Jehoshaphat does. He doesn't gather his, his cabinet together. He doesn't, right? I mean, it's, he gathers the nation. All right, here's verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it. They've built in it a sanctuary for your name saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress and you will hear us and save us. Um, verse 10, but, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive out out, drive us out of the possession you gave us as our inheritance, our purpose, our identity, our promise. Our God, will you not judge them? Man, what a, that's a great prayer. And if you feel like you're too nice to pray that prayer, let me toughen you up a little bit. I mean, it's a great prayer. I'm in the middle of being surrounded. I'm going to God and fasting and prayer. God, judge them. So, ah, oh, it doesn't sound very Christian, Charlie. I'm just reading the scripture, so it can't be unchristian. <laughs> 
For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I love the fact back here when it says, If calamity comes upon us, whether sword or judgment, plague or famine, we'll stand in your presence in the temple that bears your name and we'll cry out in distress to you because this is the very temple that God said, My eyes will never leave this place. They're acting on their history. Their history has told them that God's eyes would never leave that place. So we fight with fasting and prayer. We fight empty, not in our power. We fight empty in God's power. The first thing he does is then he acknowledges the power of God. There's an acknowledgement of the power of God. So again, you've heard me say this many times. Does God need, does God need a reminder of his power? No, right? So who needs a reminder of his power? We need a reminder of his power, right? We need a reminder because it seems like as soon as we face something that is overwhelming, that our memory of everything that he's done for us from start to here, it just, it either goes away or it doesn't matter as much or we're college football fans that say, what have you done for me lately? We, we, we tend to either negate, forget, or minimize all this other stuff. And I know why. Because the thing closest to us will look larger than the things in our history. Right? The things in front of us, the closest to us, will look larger than the things in our past and history. And this is why we have to recount. It's a good thing to recount our past in Christ and what God has done. And so, and so that by the time we get back to what we're facing, we're like, my gosh. Like I'm almost 60, right? So if I have something in front of me now, I go, oh, but I remember eight, 10, 16, 22. I can, I can call out ages when I remember something just, just massive in front of me that I couldn't do anything about. And now I've got all that history behind me. and go, oh, so that's what God did. Oh, that was what God was doing. And if I can't even put, put together what this is what you were doing, I can at least put together I'm here now and I'm not there anymore. Right? So the thing in front of us will always look bigger than the things behind us. And this is why even in our prayer, the acknowledgement of the power of God, we can do that in desperation. You can still pray that way even though you can't figure out what to do next. This is what he did. So I wrote it this way. So remember, here, a reminder, here's how I defi- defined hope. Hope is a confident expectation anchored in the person of Jesus, okay? Not an emotion. Hope is a confident expectation anchored in the person of Jesus. So, increased hope reduces current stress. When my hope increases, my stress decreases, right? Because stress is just my reaction to an issue, right? That's what stress is. Stress is my reaction to the issue. It's not the issue. So when my hope rises, my stress reduces, right? And so this hadn't changed. Hope rises, stress reduces. So that means I'm fighting in the hope of Christ. I'm fighting, I'm fighting in the glory of God, not in my weakness, perceived strength, or the like, okay? All right. Um, here's the third one. Fight empty, still. Fight empty by being still. You're right, we have a fear or flight reflex, right? 
And so depending on the moment or depending on your personality, that's how you're going to respond. You're going to flee or you're going to fight. You're going to run or you're going to stay put, right, and try to fight. These are, these are our responses. And yet, interestingly enough, in this passage, what they do is when he finishes praying, they stand still. Prayer wasn't then a thing to do. I checked the box. Now I got to get out my, you know, get out my graph and get out my bank account and get out my, you know, my, 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 um, my relationships. Now I got to work the problem. Okay, I prayed, check. Now I got to work the problem. This is not what this looks like. Prayer is working the problem. And so they ask God very, very pointed questions. Will you not judge them? We are small. We, we are small in their numbers. This, now, what, do you, what are we going to do? So there was prayer and there was stillness. And guys, I, don't, I just don't know when I look back over my life sometimes how much stillness I have equated after my prayer. I know enough to pray, but my mind's still working. How do I, how do I work this? And again, this is why the beauty of this thing is because they were in so far over their heads, there wasn't anything to work. So you might feel completely consumed today. I mean, like, like you don't even know how you got here this morning. That's, a, that's not a bad place to be. Still, so they were still, they were still before the Lord. Um, stillness before the Lord isn't inactivity, it's anticipation. All right, so let's keep reading because here comes the answer. So they weren't still for long. That's a good thing, right? I can only stand still for so long. Like, I can make everyone completely uncomfortable in this room if I stop talking for 20 seconds. 20 seconds is about the max, and y'all be just freaked out what to do with that 20-second silence. So fortunately, we don't know how long it was, but they were still standing there. Then verse 14 says, And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeul, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, pretty good, pretty good person to hear from, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. Now he's, he's speaking for the Lord. This is, a, this is a word from the Lord coming through Jehaziel. The spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. You with me? Wasn't a man with an opinion. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. God out, go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The reason we have the genealogy of Jehaziel is because he's never heard of in Scripture before this point, and he's never heard of Scripture after this point. So I, I, I see some reporter standing up and <laughs> saying, we need to get to know who this guy was, right? And he's tracking down to annotate this response that we get recorded here all these years later, tying him to a Levitical tribe, saying this person was a person of substance that God brought in this moment, but is a completely unknown person. And this has been my experience. When I have been in situations where I've completely overwhelmed, outnumbered, outgunned, God brings answers out of completely left field. 
like from people I wouldn't have expected or situations that there's no way that it could have happened, right? To make no, to make no mistake, this is what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm doing right now. Even it occurs to me when, when, when they said the battle is, we, we like to quote that a lot, when the battle was not mine, it's the Lord's. In this particular case, I think that when you drill down deeper, God is saying, I'm going to make a point with this. I'm going to make an historical point with this. And so because I'm going to make a historical point with this, this is about me. This is not about you. So watch what I'm going to do. And I know, listen, right, you stub your toe, your whole body is your toe. I understand what pain does, right? I understand how it takes over, takes over our minds, it takes over our bodies, it takes over our our, our souls. I I understand that, okay? But I believe there are some times where God's going to say, listen, this, this is actually not about you. There's something bigger going on here. And I believe in all of our lives, something bigger can be going on, all right? So, um... So one of the notes I have is many times God answers our prayers through the most unexpected and unanticipated ways. So let me just say this caveat. caveat. So if, if, if you're doing your best to live in hope and you're in this, this surrounding situation, but you see some light at the end of that tunnel, l- let me encourage you, don't put all your hope in that tunnel. Because what happens is if you see light coming out of that tunnel and that light is an oncoming train, and you lose your hope. And again, it's been my experience that many, 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 many times God brings that completely out of a different place. Right? And so, so instead of me getting my hopes up on something that I see opening up, if I keep my hope in the Lord, well, then it can open up from just about anywhere. Okay? That's just a little side note. And I came down for emphasis. Um, so... So here's God's delivery method of hope, at least three ways out of this passage. First one is God's word. God's words deliver hope. All right, God's words. The first thing he said was, do not be afraid or discouraged. Yes, I told you, feelings are real. They're not always reliable, but they're real. And I love that the first thing that God does is he speaks to their feelings. So that means he recognizes they're, they're afraid and they're discouraged. And so he addresses their fear and their discouragement first. His word, his word is how he speaks life into this. And he speaks life in recognizing where they are and speaking directly towards it. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Calm down. Breathe. Because his word, his word is a representation, and it is actually, it's his presence. Isn't it fascinating throughout scripture, the main way we see God communicating is in conversation or in whisper, not in the loud stuff, okay? So think about it. If someone's gonna whisper to you, that means they have to be in close proximity to you, okay? And in my case, they actually have to be standing on my right side. You, you, you can shout over here and it's gonna sound like whisper, but, but if you're hearing your whisper, so, so when, when, I, when I sense the spirit speaking to me, It is a clear indication to me that God is on my right side, whispering in that right ear, right? And it's his presence, and his presence does bring um, courage. It does disseminate fear because he's he's with me. Have have any of you ever had a friend um, that has said at some time or another, you know, well, if you're going to get to them, you have to go through me? I have a couple experiences like that in my lifetime of a close friend saying, well, if you're going to get to him, you've got to go through me. 
And I've said it a few times. Well, if you're going to get to them, you've got to go through me. This is what God is saying in his proximity. You want to get to them? You want to go through me. You see how that dissipates fear and discouragement by his presence? I know that I think it's in, 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 in Proverbs, I think it's in Proverbs, it says, uh, or David said, I'll hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That's a good place for the word, right? That's a good protective piece, the word, not, the word being in us so we might not sin against him. But the word is what his presence is. So I, I will have his word in me so that I will not panic in situations that are, where I have him outnumbered, outgunned, and outmaneuvered. Because it's his presence and it's stories like this, generations upon generations old, that I bet you right now, I guarantee you right now, some soldier or commander has referenced back to Second Chronicles chapter 20 because although they have, again, not received Christ as Messiah, they are definitely connected to this book, to the Old Testament of this book. They know it. They know it. How much do we know it? I need a word from the Lord. I got a bunch of them right here. I got a bunch of them right here. All right. So God's word is his delivery method. Uh, the, second is, the second thing he did in this prayer is God shoulders the responsibility of the outcome. For the battle is not yours, but God's. God shoulders the responsibility of the outcome um, because they were his people. They were his people. Um, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm leaning so much more into this the last several years um, because I like to search for my own outcomes. And, um, and I'm just, I just tell you, when I tell you that hope can be learned, practiced, and um, passed on, I'm, I'm taking that to heart and trying to live more hopeful, knowing that outcomes are his responsibility not my responsibility. That's what he tells them. The third thing he does is he directs their actions. He directs their actions. Here's where you'll find them. Here's how you'll get there. I love that. <laughs> here's where you'll find them. And here's how you get there. Here's how you find them. Here's how you get there. The steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered of God. Psalm 37 out of the message says, stalwart walks in step with God, his path blazed by God. He's happy. If he stumbles, he's not down for long. God has a grip on his hand. Hope is not a shot in the dark. Hope is not a shot in the dark. So, this is how hope counteracts us being surrounded. We deal with being outnumbered. God's word confirms his presence. The idea of being outgunned is God's promises secures outcomes. And out of options is his plan positions us for a front row seat to his glory. That, that's my point about when he produces the outcome, it's his story. We will tell it, but it's his story. And so he tells him, you will not have to physically fight, but you do have to move. You do have to move. So here's... Here's the response. So we had the prayer, we had God's response, and here's Jehoshaphat and the nation's response. And um, I'm about finished. So Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korhites stood up and praised the Lord, 
the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. This was their responsibility, and they were stepping into their responsibility. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You understand, nothing has changed here. Nothing has changed here. The nations were still walking. Nothing has changed except their hope now was in the Lord. So here's an appropriate response to God's promises as his word to you. One, and all of these are movement responses. The first is worship. Worship, the recognition of God's love enduring forever, even in the middle of stuff that just seems like it's gonna squash us. Worship is an active movement. Worship is a hope regained. When you begin to worship, you start, your, your hope, the hope starts rising inside of you. The second would be praise. When, when our worship starts turning to praise is we're starting to believe the hope. And when we walk, when we act in faith, when we go and respond to God's word, that is, that is hope believed um, and now is active inside of us. Hope is now active inside of us. And so it really it works. It works from the top down. Hope works from the top down. It, it starts in my head. It moves to my heart. And I act it out with my feet. Do I trust the word of God? Is it, start, is it starting to change my perspective? Am I going to walk in it? And hope works from the top, the top down. And so here's kind of how it ends, right? So that, that you know, it, if you're counting on surprise, you don't sing along the way, right? So they weren't looking to surprise these nations. God had told them what to do. Go this way. And do this. And scripture says that as they began singing, the nations that were already gathered, as this starts, this started. It said the, the language that the scripture says is God set ambushes. It's kind of unique language. But what happened is two nations came, they came to blows against one another and destroyed one. And then the third nation steps in, and then all of them are destroyed. So by the time Israel gets to the position God had told them on this plain and they're overlooking this, this gorge, this valley, they see bodies everywhere. Think about how many bodies. Well, scripture says that it took three days for the, the fighting men of Israel to take the spoils of that, which would have meant there had been um, their armament, you know, whatever they might have been wearing at the time. So three days to gather all of that stuff back. So it gives you a scope of the size that we're talking about. And so they, they step up and they see this and wow, God did exactly what God said he was going to do. This is not just about you. This is about a bigger picture. Outcomes in my hands, it's not in your hands. Invite me into this process. Watch your hope rise. Let me speak to your fear. Let me speak to your discouragement. I want to drop my word in there. I want to, I want to give it to you. And I want you to walk this out. Movement is always going to be part of this thing. Worship is movement. Praise is movement. Uh, faith is movement. It's always going to be a part of it. What are you going to do with what God tells you? Because what God tells you, sometimes you're going to do the math and you're going to say, this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't work. You know, you want me to do this. 
and it doesn't look like it's going to have any impact on this. I'm just telling you, lock in your faith here of what you hear. And listen, if you haven't heard anything and the Word's not directing you anywhere, I would say stay put. Do the last thing He's told you to do until you hear different, see different, and then walk in faith. And so when we come to the end of this message today is I hope this either um, kind of locks in deep for you for something in the future uh, or maybe it's a word for you right now. And this wouldn't this be unique that you walked into church on a Sunday completely overwhelmed with something and God's word to you is about you being in that position of being overwhelmed. And that in and of itself should say, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged because I am completely aware of where you are completely. And then you, man, maybe in this moment with this body, maybe in this moment in this body is when God would speak that word to you. What to do. I know worship and praise and movement are a part of it, but in what way and how I'm trusting God to deliver that word to you. You know, have you been, and maybe you've been in here sometimes or you've been other places where a word was spoken or something was said and a whole, whole cacophony of stuff, but that one thing stuck very, very deep inside of you. I pray today that that one thing would stick very deep inside of you somewhere, something today. So stand with me for prayer. This is what we've been doing regularly now, and it's, and it's been quite effective, I believe. If you want to spend some time with the Lord by yourself, Come to this side of the altar and just kneel down over here. If you want someone to link arms with you in prayer, I want you to come on this side of the altar. And don't be surprised if someone asks, how can I pray for you specifically? Okay? Have the confidence. Share that with them for them to pray. Communion's on my, on my right and my left. You can always receive communion. Um, but Father, we stand in this room today. We stand as a body. Whether, whether new, guest, old Lord to get together today in this room we're your body those watching online a part of our church we are your body and so Father there are plenty of people today I believe that need to hear a word from you I pray that the hope will rise up inside of them that this is the word given to them today that emptiness is an illusion your presence is with them Lord speak to us today while you guys are praying, let me just ask this question. Pastor, I need, I need God to give me some direction today. Raise your hand. I need God to give me some direction today, right? There's hands up everywhere. Hands are up everywhere. So Father, today I pray as we are open and still before you and worship before you, speak, speak those words of life into us in the name of Jesus, I pray. I invite you to move to the altar or to communion. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.